Hi, and welcome to Northampton Bible Church's podcast. We are glad that you're here today. If you'd like to learn more about Northampton Bible Church, you can check us out at nbchurchcf.org. You can also interact with us on social media at nbchurchcf. And now, here's today's message. You know, one of the things I was thinking while uh, Larry was praying we get this idea in our heads that God, and we even say this, the Bible says that God will never give you more than you can handle. And then you start flipping through, you're like, I know it's in here somewhere. I know it's in, it's in here when the reality is uh, God will give you more than you can handle because you can't handle without him. <laughs> we like to believe we got it all together. We like to believe that we're in control, but uh, that's not the truth. So God allows things into our lives and allows things to be out of control. He's still in control, but allows things to be out of control. So you realize like, oh, I can't do this. And a lot of what we're talking about today has to do with that. Before we get too far, I want to let you know that we're going to be talking about, you like that? How fitting it is uh, our Christmas this year, Advent is going to be talking about unmasking Christmas. Uh, this week, we're in John 11 or 12. That's where we're at. Next week, we'll be in 13, and then we're going to take a break from the Gospel of John, and we're going to get into uh, Unmasking Christmas the last Sunday in November. If you can believe it, we are getting into Christmas. I mean, the radio will tell you we're already in Christmas. I understand, but uh, we're, getting, we're getting close. We're talking about Unmasking Christmas this year and looking forward to that. Uh, if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to go to John chapter 12. We are at the point in John where this is the beginning of the end. This is that point that even last week uh, we were looking at John chapter 11 and we looked at Lazarus. And if you were here last week, you kind of got a picture of of God showing up late and and asking God, why would you ever do that? And understanding that God uh, shows up late, at least in our timetable, because God has a bigger plan. We don't often like that. (laughs) We don't often welcome that. We don't often appreciate that, uh, but we need to trust. And what we find in John chapter 11 is that Lazarus, Jesus decides to go. They ask him, hey, your friend who you love is, is about to die, and he come do something about it, and he waits two days. But then he goes, and he probably knew, but we didn't know, and they didn't know that this was going to be his last trip to Jerusalem. It was going to be his last trip into town. That not only was he going there for this particular purpose, but ultimately he was going there because in a few short days he'd be facing the cross. And if you remember last week, we looked at his friends and his friends were saying, hey, Jesus, you may want to think about, rethink about going to Jerusalem because remember the last time you were there, uh, they were going to kill you. And, uh, and what happens when they try to kill you, it might end up rolling over and killing us. <laughs> so uh, why do we not go? Jesus like, look, it's going to be all right. All the well knowing, all the while knowing that this, that the cross was coming. Uh, so even their words were kind of uh, foreshadowing, even though they didn't know their words were foreshadowing of what was going to come. And this morning, what I want us to, to look at, and, and Jesus is going to talk about this, and we're eventually going to get to this, but I've got to fill in some gaps for you to get to this point. But I want you to hear today, and this is in your notes, that living for Jesus means dying to self. And this is not a very popular thing to say but it's what Jesus says to us. 
that we have gotten into this, uh, if you've been around church at all, you've been around the gospel at all, you've kind of gotten to this idea, uh, some might call it easy believism, that if we say, hey, if you just, if you want to be right, yeah, I want to be right, you want to be saved, yeah, yeah, just pray this prayer. And Jesus says that we need to, to trust him. We need to trust him as Savior, but we also need to follow him as Lord. That if he, is, if he has been sacrificed, if he has been put to death and risen again, that we too will die with him. Not, not like you're, as soon as you accept Jesus, you're dead, but as soon as you accept Jesus, it really is dying to yourself. So in a very real sense, you are saying, yeah. And we're going to talk about it because you might say, okay, what's that mean? And me and Larry, when you first started, yeah, we're like talking about, like, I don't know what you said, but I'm like, oh boy. Anybody that's new, we're really not going to talk about, like, dying off, but uh, we are going to talk about dying to self. Jesus is, now if you look up, we kind of get up to chapter 12, this is getting ready, Jesus is getting ready for the Passover, uh, and what you didn't know, and what I didn't know in this moment, what the disciples didn't know, because if you're reading through this as we are, you get to this point that the, the Passover is about to come, and Jesus is about to experience it, about to celebrate his last Passover. And it's his last Passover because at this point he's going to be put to death on a cross. And really, it's the last Passover because although the Passovers, they might still celebrate Passover, who Jesus is, the Passover is the shadow of what was to come, and Jesus is the reality of that shadow. Does that make sense? That you remember the story of the Passover? You remember the celebration of the Passover where the Israelites were enslaved in Egypt and God says, hey, Moses, go tell Pharaoh. And he's like, I don't really want to do that. No, no, please go. No, no, I really am not. No, go. And he finally goes. And there were a number of plagues. And the last plague that changed everything was killing the firstborn of every family in Egypt. What God says is if you take the blood of a lamb, you sacrifice a lamb, and you put it on your doorpost, the angel of death will pass over your house. And everybody that's in your house will be saved. And this became a picture, this became the shadow of who Jesus would be, that when Jesus came, what did John say about who Jesus was? Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That Jesus is the reality of the shadow, the thing that was being pointed to. And now he's in Jerusalem to be sacrificed as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world once for all. No more does there need to be a sacrifice because Jesus is the perfect sacrifice, the spotless lamb, the lamb who takes away the sin of the world. And so beginning in chapter 12, six days before the Passover, uh, we see Mary. Uh, I was gonna, this is where I was going to be this week. I was going to talk about this whole first part of John chapter 12 and Mary anointing Jesus' feet and how uh, big of a deal that was and how it was kind of even foreshadowing his death and preparing him for uh, his burial, even though she didn't know that she was foreshadowing. And how Judas spoke up finally and he's like hey you know there's gonna be better things done with this but really he wasn't thinking about anybody but himself there you go just trying to keep you away we do that every now and then we start seeing you nod off and we just make noises so you, you wake up and it's interesting how the disciples, how the, the hearts of those that were following him uh, heard all the same parables, saw all the same miracles, saw Jesus and heard his heart, and they all responded differently or in different degrees, in different ways. You have Judas who ended up betraying him. 
You have others that ran away, and all of them ran away, and, and many, if not all, came back, and really their lives were changed. But there are different responses to Jesus, and not much has changed today. That if we're being honest, Jesus, the message of Jesus, the gospel, the good news is divisive. Because Jesus doesn't leave room for you to say, no, 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 it's fine. <laughs> Just add Jesus to your life and, and you'll be, your life will be better. Number one, if I brought each one of you up there and I said, hey, did following Jesus make your life better? Some of you might say, yeah, yeah. Some of you might be like, no, it got worse. Because the reality is, is that Jesus never promised that your life would be better in following him. Uh, the health and wealth gospel is no gospel at all. I don't follow Jesus to get anything but Jesus. But that's the message you might hear today. Like, hey, follow Jesus and all your dreams will come true. Follow Jesus and you'll never have problems again. Just, just sow this seed. That's not what Jesus says. He's like, hey, let me give you some insight. You want to follow me? Okay. You know how the world hates me? They're going to hate you too. You know how bad things, yeah, don't expect anything better. Is it worth it? You know, I, I think about John chapter 6, and I, we talked about this today, but it hit me that you have these, these disciples that were all following Jesus in John chapter 6, and then he began to say some hard things, and, and they say, you know what? There goes all the lights. Jesus, uh, we're out of here. Just like that, just like the lights. They're like, we're out of here. You might want to just turn the house lights up a little bit, and we'll, we'll be all right. Like, I feel like we're, like, like Satan is working overtime this morning, so uh, you can see me. That's all that matters. You can hear me. That's even better for most of you. In John chapter 6, what you have is Jesus sees all these disciples leave, and he turns to the 12, and he's like, you, you guys want to go to me? Because this is, this is not going to be easy. And what does Peter say? Where would we go? <laughs> Where would we go? We know who you are. We know that life has found your name. Where would we go? I think sometimes we need that reality check that Jesus is all we need. Sometimes we forget that. And sometimes, if we're being honest, sometimes we say we follow Jesus, but we follow Jesus for what we can get, not to get Jesus. This is a hard truth, but this is what we're going to get into, is that living for Jesus means dying to self. You can't follow Jesus and not follow Jesus. You can't be a Christ follower and not follow Jesus. That Jesus is not just an add-on to your life to make things better, or like, no, 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 I believe in being a good person, but I'll throw Jesus in there too, in case, just in case that helps. Jesus is divisive because Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. And so after Jesus is anointed in Jerusalem, there's the triumphal entry, which we, we talk about at Easter all the time, and he enters in Jerusalem, and everybody's shouting, Hosanna, and they think that this guy's going to come in, overthrow the government, things are going to be great, the king is finally here, and he's like, no, I came to serve. <laughs> I came to give my life. Which brings us to verse 20. That backdrop, understand what's happening. Now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. And so these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida 
in Galilee and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. And Philip went and told Andrew, and Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. And this is significant because what I want you to see in John chapter 12 is everything is finally coming together. It's been building to this point, but it's finally coming together in ways that maybe you've never recognized or realized. Certainly, they didn't understand. That these God-fearing Greeks were on the search for wisdom, were really on the search for life, were really on the search for Jesus, had come to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover, but they said, look, we, we need to talk to Jesus. And maybe they heard like stories or rumblings like, oh, he heals people and he does these great things. And we heard something about some guy that was dead and now he's alive. So we really want to talk to this guy. And this coming to Jesus is really uh, symbolic, or not even more symbolic. Well, it's symbolic in the sense that, remember how Jesus said right here in John chapter 10 that I have other sheep. Remember we talked about the great shepherd, he's the good shepherd. I have other sheep that are not of this fold, that I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. And so there will be one flock and one shepherd. And what we see is this symbolism of understanding that, yes, the Jews, but also it's to the non-Jews, it's to the Gentiles, and they're coming together. And what Jesus has done is he's unified one body by by his death. And so these Greeks that are on the search, these Gentiles are on the search for Jesus, and they go to talk to him. And what we see is that, that Jesus' words are, are really coming true from John chapter 10. And what we have here is this culmination of his ministry, this aha moment, and I want you to see this, because this is it right here. Chapter, well, I'll just tell it, and then I'll go look at verse 23. We'll come back to that. And Jesus answered them. So listen, this is all happening. The Greeks are coming to meet with Jesus. Philip, they're telling him, hey, Jesus, they want to talk to you. And he says this, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Now, that may not be a big deal to you, like, okay, but I want you to see that this is a big deal, that we have been moving through the book of John. We've been moving to this point because all through John, in John chapter 2, 4, 7, 7, 8, my hour has not yet come. Remember that um, he goes, Mary goes to Jesus and says, hey, they're out of wine. He's like, well, you know, what does that have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. Talking to the woman at the well, my hour, the hour is coming. My time has not yet come. My time has not yet fully come. My, the hour, his hour has not yet come. His hour had not yet come. And then we get to chapter 12, and what do we see? Jesus answered them and says, the hour has come. That little did anybody else know in John chapter 11, as they're working through this whole story, but we get to John chapter 11 and Jesus' decision, which is really in God's perfect timing, Jesus' decision to wait two days, to show up late, to do this thing that he said was going to happen, changed everything, and it was a very pivotal moment in the story that we're looking at with Jesus. That this, this is the beginning of the end. And what I want you to see in all this, and this is in your notes, that God's plan is perfect. Because it's all through the book of John. It's all through scripture. It's not just here. That you can see a God who is intimately involved in his creation. A God who has, trans, has come down, who, who loves you, who has given all for you. And you see that all through the pages of scripture. That Jesus coming to earth and the way that he came, when he came, is all part of God's plan. The events of chapter 11 uh, resulted in many believing, resulted in many's lives being changed, and really resulted in uh, some people not believing. 
An example of God's perfect plan and the power to make it happen is seen in the story of Lazarus that we looked at last week. And so if you missed it, I encourage you to go watch it or listen to it. But I'm going to try to fill in enough to understand that we, because this is, there's implications, there's ripples that go out from what happened in that moment. Going back to the fact that Jesus said, hey, I'm going to wait two days when you expected me to be there in that moment, I'm going to wait a little bit longer. And Lazarus ends up dying and he shows up and he raises him from the dead. Because you remember, he said in 11 verse 4, <clears throat> when Jesus heard this, he, this illness, he says, this illness does not lead to death, uh, meaning that, that he has power over death. It is for the glory of God, and here's the purpose statement, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. He told them, look, understand that God has a plan. Understand that this all fits into how God wants things to work. Understand that because I'm doing this, it's going to make an impact in people's lives and people are going to believe. The miracle of raising Lazarus from the dead was going to change people's hearts and lives. The miracle was going to make an impact. I mean, it didn't make sense. <laughs> it's not something you would choose, but it's something that God would use. And we said that last week. Look at this in, in verse, let me do this one, right? Verse 45, many of the Jews, this is after the fact, therefore, who had come with Mary. Again, we'll stop there for a second. Remember what we said last week. Had Jesus said, you know, oh yeah, Lazarus is sick, yeah, I'll go take care of that, yeah, no problem. Actually, I could take care of him from here, <laughs> no problem. But he waited two days, and he showed up when they didn't think he should be there. And because of the fact that many people came from Jerusalem, from surrounding areas, to weep with Mary, and so now there was a crowd, when there might not have been, and though they come with Mary, and when they had seen what he did, they believed in him. God, why would you let this happen? God, why wouldn't you show up? God, why wouldn't, why would you allow this for my glory? It's for lives to be changed. And we're okay with it when it's Lazarus, right? We're okay with it when it happens to him. Oh, yes, of course, yes. But when it happens to us or someone we care about, we say, God, I mean, come on. And what God is speaking into your situation, what God is speaking into my situation, because there's that gap we talked about last week, that gap between what I expect God to do and what God actually does, we fill with disappointment, we fill with anger, we fill with God, why would you ever, God, I can't believe in a God who would do something like that, that we need to fill that with trust. God, I have no idea why you would allow this to happen. <laughs> it's going to actually make my, my family or my friends even more bitter toward you. It's going to make me more bitter towards you. Trust you. The fact that Lazarus died, the fact that Jesus was late, the fact that all these things happened were part of God's perfect plan. Because many believed. Lives were changed. It initiated, in a very real sense, the beginning of the end. Had he not gone and did what he did, he would not be there. He, I mean, ultimately, he might have been in for the Passover, but he wasn't there. But he was there, and it was according to God's timing and God's perfect plan. And many believed. Look at this. This is great. This is the dialogue that's happening with religious leaders. Is if we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. 
I mean, you've got to understand that these guys were sincere religious leaders, and some guy shows up and he starts doing these tricks or these things and turning water into wine and, and healing people's sicknesses, and now he raised somebody from the dead. If he keeps going on like this, everybody's going to believe in him. He's, he's a freak. He's, he's like, he's a false prophet. There's something wrong with him. Everybody's going to believe. So from that day on, they made plans to put him to death. They were very sincere in their belief. They sincerely believed that the thing that they were saying, the thing that they were doing was the right thing. But they were sincerely wrong. And on top of that, not only did they want to put Jesus to death, but the chief priests also made plans to put Lazarus to death as well because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. Like, do you see this all coming together because of this one decision to say, yes, I'll go, but I'm going to wait a couple days so that all these things will happen, so that God would be glorified, so the, so the Son of Man, so Jesus would be glorified. All in that decision, all these dominoes and these ripples began to fall and began to be, that lives were being changed because of that one decision that, that Mary and Martha couldn't understand. Jesus, if you would just have been here, my brother would still be alive. He said, listen. good that I wasn't here. He's telling his disciples, I'm glad that I wasn't. Because lives are changed. Eternities are being changed because I was late, by your standards, but right on time by God's. Lazarus is evidence of Jesus' power over death, and they didn't like it, and they're like, we got to get rid of this guy? This is a problem. You know, for, for them, understanding that this was God's plan from the beginning is hard. For us, understanding God's plan in our lives is hard. But I want you to know that God does have a plan, that God is working all things together for our good and for his glory, to those that are called according to his purpose. And we do need to trust him. And it's easier for me to stand up here and say that, and it's difficult for us to live it but we need to trust him. And God's plan and what John is saying in this passage, what John is saying in this book is I'm writing these things so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God, and by believing you may find life. And that's what stands in front of us today for all of us, each one of us, is whether we will trust in Jesus or we won't. Whether we'll believe that he is the way, the truth, and the life, or he isn't. But I want you to hear, and Jesus says it often, that he is the life, that he is the truth, that he is the way, that he is the one. All through, all through John, he's saying, I am God, I am God, I am God, I am God, I am here to save you, I am the light of the world, I am the one who has come, that you might have life and have it to the full, I am, I am, I am, that there is not, a, you can't look at it and say, but Jesus didn't really say that. Oh, he did. He did. And it leaves us to decide. We have to make that decision. Do we believe it or don't we? Is he a liar? Is he a lunatic? Or is he Lord? And if he's Lord, then we have no other decision, do we? Oh, no, no, he's Lord, but I don't really believe it. Well, that's a decision. Oh, no, he's Lord, but I'll give him part of my life. Well, that's not a, that's not a decision 
Wherever you land on who Jesus is will determine your eternity. Because if you enter into eternity without forgiveness, when you enter into eternity without Jesus, you'll be separated from God for all eternity. Not because God looks at you and says, I don't like you. (laughs) It's because of your sin. And unless you put your faith in him, you trust him as savior and you follow him as Lord, there is no forgiveness. That your eternity and my eternity hangs in the balance. Jesus doesn't give you the option, and we've said this, doesn't give you the option to say, oh, you know, he's a good teacher. He's a good person. He was a good rabbi. He was a very spiritual person. He's a good prophet. No, he's, 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 he's Lord. He's God. He's Lord. He, he, that's it. And if he is, then you either believe him or you don't. And as I've said, and I'll say it again, I'm sure today, that the truth is the truth, whether you believe it or not. (laughs) And you could be sincere in your beliefs to believe otherwise, but sincerity doesn't equate faith, that you can be sincere and be sincerely wrong. The religious leaders were sincere, and they were sincerely wrong about who Jesus was. And I want you to hear, too, before we move on, that to remember that God's plan extends to your life and that God has a perfect plan and that God is in control and that God really truly is working all things together. Not like we would say for your good and you think, oh, that means I'm gonna get a million dollars and I'm gonna have a private jet. No, 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 it doesn't mean that. Because the reality is that if God is getting the glory, then that's good. We don't like that. I don't, it doesn't sit well with me sometimes because what happens is if God is getting the glory, it may not look like good for me. It may mean that I lose something. (laughs) In all actuality, it means that I lose my life so that he might get the glory. So if I can tell you this, that if you follow Jesus, you need to make it all about Jesus. Jesus says in John chapter 3, and he says later in John chapter 12, that if I'm lifted up, I will draw all people unto myself. That if you truly are following Jesus, it's about making a big deal about Jesus. That we point to him, we trust him, and he changes hearts and he changes lives, and God's plan is right on time and it's perfect. We need to trust it. Verse 24, truly, truly, I say to you, Unless a grain of wheat falls to the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. And so here's the payoff. Here's the big revelation. Uh, Again, Jesus is taking the physical to explain the spiritual. And he talks about a seed dying. And if a seed dies and it's in the ground, it bears much fruit. And what he's saying is that the culmination of all of history, what we've been looking forward to, what you've been looking forward to, this moment that that someone would come, the Messiah would come and, and bring salvation, would bring spiritual birth to the world, I'm here. Like if you were able to kind of just read this all together, that everything is ramping up from from all of time, ramping up to this point. From a physical perspective, death is necessary for harvest, as Jesus said. But what he's also saying is that death, that my death, that Jesus' death is necessary for a spiritual harvest. That true spiritual life comes through death. 
that it doesn't make sense that something would have to die so that we might live. But what Jesus is saying is that if you want to find life, it's really in my death. My death, burial, and resurrection. That unless Jesus dies, there would be no harvest. Unless Jesus dies, there would be no redemption. Unless Jesus dies, there would be no forgiveness. It is the life and resurrection of Jesus that we can find spiritual life. Paul says in 2 Corinthians, For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that the one who has died for all, therefore, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him, for their, for, for their sake, was, who has died and been raised. Do you understand what Paul is saying? That Jesus died for all, so that all believe, who believe in him would find life. And not only would they find life, they would not find life to live for themselves, but they would find life to live for him. Jesus' death results in life for all people, those that put their faith and their trust in Christ, that trust him as Savior and follow him as Lord. There's no other option, and Jesus makes that very clear, and we say it very often, and it's not something that necessarily is like, man, this is great, I'm gonna go tell my friend. <laughs> you should tell your friend. But it doesn't speak well into our culture. But we need to speak the truth, because the truth is the truth, whether we believe it or not. And then Jesus says that I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. And if we believe that, then we need to live it. And if we believe that, we need to share that. We need to believe that this should change our lives. Look at verse 25. Jesus shifts from himself to, to, to those that follow. Whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. <laughs> that Jesus is saying that following him, being his disciple, means that you have died to yourself, that true followers of Jesus have died to themselves. Okay, it's nice. Those are good words, but what does that mean? that I die to myself in salvation where I, I lay down my life, I lay down my will, I lay down the fact that I'm a sinner and I need a savior and Jesus, you tell me in your word that you are the way, the truth, and the life and no one comes to the Father except through me. I trust in what you have done on the cross, what you have done, the fact of being raised from the dead. I trust in what you have done for me, for me. We talk about trusting Jesus as savior and that's the piece that we talk about a lot. And maybe you've heard that a lot in your life. You need to trust him as Savior. But we also need to follow him as, a, as Lord. And that's where this part comes in. And it's, as we've said often, it's two sides of the same coin. It's not just giving mental assent to, of course, yes, Jesus died. Of course, I believe, and I'm going to go live my life like I want to live. It's saying, of course, Jesus died for me, and I received that gift. And my life, by his power, is going to look different. Second Corinthians says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come, that I am his and he is mine, that he is my savior, my redeemer. But I don't live my life to please me. But it's a struggle. 
We talked about this morning, it's a struggle to be, to fall into legalism and try to do these things that I do, read my Bible and I pray and I do them so that God will love me more or so that God will forgive me more when in fact God has forgiven me in Christ. How much of my sin has God forgiven me in Christ? All of it. Past, present, future, that I'm redeemed, that I am forgiven, that I am free in Christ. We talk about this often, and maybe we should talk about it now, but talk about like when I, before I have a relationship with Christ, before I follow him as Savior, trust him as Savior, and follow him as Lord, that I, I'm separated from God eternally because of my sin. That if I were to step out of time, if I were to die and step into eternity, I would be separated from God because of my sin. But when I put my faith in Christ, when I trust him as Savior, and I follow him as Lord, that my sin is forgiven, so that when I do sin, and you will mess up, and you will struggle through life, and there's things that you're going to keep coming back to, these wells that are dry, you're like, Jesus, I want to follow you, but I really want this too. And we, that's a battle that happens in our lives where we, we need to let the Spirit win in our lives, and we don't at times. That when I sin as a Christ follower, that I'm separated from God relationally, that no longer if I, if I sin as, as a Christ follower, it's not I'm in jeopardy of like, oh, I, I might be separated from God. No, my sin is forgiven in Christ. But my relationship with God is not what it should be, could be, had I keep shorts of counts of sin and say, God, please forgive me. I mean, 1 John 1, 9 says, if I confess my sin, he is faithful and just to forgive me of my sin and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. That there's forgiveness, ongoing forgiveness, that yes, somebody might say, well, why ask for forgiveness? Like, you're already forgiven. I am forgiven in Christ. But if I have something wrong, if something's between my wife and I or a friend of mine and I, and I don't say, hey, you know, like I don't just look at him like, eh, are we okay? Eh. Like there's still something there. And I need to go and, I, you know, please forgive me. I was wrong in the way that I spoke that, the thing that I said, and, and my relationship needs to be restored. And we need to understand too, and we talk about this a lot, <laughs> and we looked at it today in, Gal in Galatians, uh, that we start our relationship with God in God's power, and then we try to live in our own. And I think we're guilty of that. And maybe everybody in this room is guilty of that, because what we say is, yes, of course, I trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of my sin, and now I'm going to try really hard to live this out. I'm going to try, I'm going to try, I'm going to try. And what we come to understand is that it's not about you trying harder, it's about you surrendering more. It's not about behavior modification, it's about heart transformation. It's, and heart transformation happens because of what God is doing on the inside. That as you surrender your life to him, he changes you, he makes you who you ought to be. And so it's dying at salvation, but as Paul says here, that I die daily, this idea that I lay down my life. I think, Danielle, you were talking about this too, just getting up, lay me down. You know, we sang that song. God, today is your day. God, this moment is your moment. God, I'm having this conversation with this person I never expected, and it's about you. God, I just, I lay it down. I, I give you my tongue. I give you my mind. God, just use me in this moment. That's evidence of really laying down my life. And I said this already, but I want you to see this, that following Jesus is not about trying harder. It's about surrendering more. I know we've been guilty of, or maybe you've been guilty of singing the song, Lord, I want more of you. Sing songs like that. God, just give me, just give me more. Just give me more. And I believe God is saying, no, 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 no. You give me more. 
surrender more of who you are. That as a follower of Christ, it's really about not trying harder. It's about surrendering more. God, I surrender my marriage to you. I surrender my will to you. I surrender my mouth to you. I surrender my attitude to you. Because I don't want to just look like I follow Jesus. I want to be, be a Christ follower. I want you to change me. I want it to be a thing where because there's change happening, it's because you're changing me and not because I've learned how to, to do the Christian thing. Because <laughs> the reality is you can't save yourself. Only Christ can. And you can't transform your life. Only Christ can. That if you want your marriage to be better, if you want your life to be better, and I don't, no, don't mishear me, <laughs> Just because you ask Jesus, if you ask God to change your marriage and make you, it doesn't mean that your marriage is not going to fall apart. I'm not saying that. I'm not claiming like, hey, just name it, claim it. I'm not saying any of that. What I'm saying is, if you have a marriage that is struggling and you're following Jesus, you know what you say? God, change me. God, make me who I ought to be. Help me to love my wife the way that I need to love her. If you're a wife, help me to love my husband the way that I need to love him. Don't change them. <laughs> I mean, I want you to change them. And that's what we often do in marriage, don't we? God, if you would just like, you know. God, change me. Change me. Make me someone that just loves her more than anything in the world. Following Jesus is really, if I could just sear this into your brain, <laughs> because God has continually seared it into mind. Anytime that somebody says, uh, and this is no offense to anyone, because I can't think of anyone saying this recently. Oh, yeah, 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 man, I'm, I'm trying real hard. I'm trying hard to, I'm trying. I just want to just like say, stop. <laughs> Surrender. It's not a popular thing, but it's the right thing when it comes to Jesus. And I get it. It may be semantics. It may be like, no, 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 that's what I mean. Well, may we change what we say? Because this is what we, if this is what we mean, then say that. Because anything that starts with I is going to fail. I'm going to be so much, I'm going to try to be patient today. I'm going to try to not fall into that same sin that I fell into everything every other day. God, if I'm not going to give in to that craving, it's going to be because of you. And I'm asking you to change my heart. You think God's going to answer a prayer like that? God, make me more like Jesus. Uh, maybe. <laughs> okay. People joke about saying, oh, don't pray for patience. <laughs> uh, patience is a fruit of the Spirit. Maybe you should. Patience is an evidence of the Spirit in our lives because you can't do this on your own. And so we need to die to sin. We need to die to self We need to get past this easy believism that, yeah, just, just pray the prayer and you're in the club, but to say, no, 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 I'm trusting in Christ for salvation, but every day I'm laying my life down. I'm laying my will down. Every day it's, God, whatever you want. Every day it's praying those two most dangerous words that you could ever pray, God, use me. Don't pray that prayer lightly because God might just answer it. And God wants to answer it because God wants to use you for his glory. This is a verse that we come back to often, but Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily. Follow me. 
You want to follow Jesus? Say yes to him and no to yourself. Galatians 2.20, we come back to this verse all the time. Romans chapter 12, Nate has that, I think, tattooed on his forearm or someplace, like just all the time, which is great. I mean, that's really what we should be about. If you don't know, if you don't know Romans 12, 1 and 2, uh, look at that. But Galatians 2.20, that I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That that's how our heart should beat as followers of Jesus. And if you say, I follow Jesus, but your heart doesn't beat in that way, then you need to reevaluate where you are in Jesus. And I don't mean to say, well, you're not a Jesus follower. I'm saying, like, God, I don't, I don't, that's not my heart. Change me. I want that to be true of me. And I think the very fact that you would ever pray the prayer, God, change me, God, use me, is evidence of the fact of, of the Spirit of God working in your life because Scripture is very clear that none of us would seek him. None of us would say, God, change my life. And if I could ask you one more personal question. I know it's kind of been like downer. Hopefully it's not too down. It's been a rough week. Hopefully it's not too downer, but... But for those of you that follow Jesus, why do you follow Jesus? And it's a rhetorical question, but hopefully a question that you would thoughtfully answer. Because do you follow Jesus to get something from Jesus? Do you follow him to get security? Do you follow him to get heaven? Do you follow him so that your life will be great, which we already said may not happen? Or do you follow him simply to get him? And that's hard for us in the Western church, in Western culture, because we're very individualistic and we're very prideful and we got all of our needs met for the most part. If we're being honest, when no one else is around, we might say, but we really don't need God right now. I mean, I need God so I can go to heaven, of course. But beyond that, God, I'll let you know. I mean, I'll let you know. Jesus says, if you're going to follow me, deny yourself. Pick up your cross. Let's go. Die to yourself. Follow me. Obey me. That's his call in your life. If you're a Christ follower, it's not just hey, trust me as Savior. It is follow me as Lord. It is obey me that if you love me, you'll do what I say. And I have to look in the mirror and say those same things that I'm saying to you. God, is this true of me? Does my heart beat this way? And understanding that it's through Christ alone. I hope that's been clear. <laughs> I hope that it's clear that it's Jesus and Jesus alone, and that in trusting him as Savior, that you follow him as Lord, that you surrender your life, that you die to self. Some of you need to talk to God and say, yeah, God, I, I get all that, but I've never truly laid it down. I've never truly said, just God, use me. I've never had this attitude of, God, whatever you want today, but I'm gonna change that, and really what I'm saying is, God, change my heart. And as we die to ourselves. People see Christ in us. As we die to ourselves, Christ is lifted up, and when Christ is lifted up, he will change people's hearts and lives.
May we live like that. May we live a life in such a way by God's power, and I'll keep saying by God's power, by God's power, by God's power, that people would see Christ in us, that God would be glorified, and if God is glorified, then that's good. May we never get past that.